We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, October 17th, 2022. Well, I hope you did stop watching Major League Baseball after the White Sox season. These playoff games have been crazy multiple late inning comebacks, multiple upsets, postseason brackets, especially in the National League, are busted. That's because both the San Diego Padres and the Philadelphia Phillies pull off shocking upsets in the divisional rounds, both winning in four games, and now one of them will rep the National League in this year's World Series. Easy to promote the hell out of this series, Manny Machado versus Bryce Harper. Oh... Yeah, this series is going to bring back bad memories of the White Sox failed 2019 offseason efforts. We'll we'll chat about that. And a new name has been rumored to be part of the White Sox managerial search. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Your worst fear for this postseason happened. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the most dominant team in the regular season, who won 111 games, they get knocked out early in the postseason. Yeah, it's disappointing, at least for me. Like, I will say I like enjoy watching the Padres play. Like, I've enjoyed watching the crowds. It's fun seeing like that rivalry. Or it's not really rivalry. It's a one-sided rivalry because I think the Padres fans think a lot about the Dodgers. The Dodgers really, until now, haven't had a whole lot of reason to regard the Padres with any importance. But... It was fun to see the Padres uh, tip the scales in their favor. I like watching the Phillies cause havoc and upset the Braves. But when it comes to, you know, seasons and, and seeing like, you know, you know, the Los Angeles Times columnists say like, is this the biggest appointment? Actually, not even asking the question like this is the biggest disappointment in Dodgers history. And, you know, John Thorne, who is the historian for major league baseball said like, no, it isn't. There was, you know, 51, 56, 85, like, you know, so, you know, it was rattling off years that were more disappointing, but yeah, the, the longer March to the world series with another round of postseason, you know, actual round of postseason, not just a one and done, but now three games. And then you have a buy where a team is sitting for longer and just, it's more dragged out. I think there's more opportunity for teams to get tripped up. And if you like drama and if you like just kind of messiness, then there's a certain appeal to it. But if you really like the best teams getting rewarded and treated as the best teams, I think you're going to be unsatisfied more often than not, just because when it comes to, you know, a major league series, you know, it's not like basketball where the, you know, uh, home courts advantage looms so large and, you know, certain stars can just take over games. It's like basically any series between a quality team, what do they have? Like a 60% chance of winning it? Like, you know, I don't think you can really have a probability. It's much greater than that for any kind of short series, for a team to win it. So like a team, we talked about the Phillies having two great pitchers and an offense that can homers. Like that's not a bad postseason mix. And they smoked the Braves with that. So 
it's a def- different kind of baseball. It's a requires a shorter pitching rotation and a shorter lineup. And if you can squeak by into the postseason with that formula, I think you can raise a lot of hell and get pretty far. And it's fun. And it certainly gives a team like the White Sox who are on the outside looking in like uh, food for thought when it comes to building a team. But in terms of just, you know, I like seeing great seasons get rewarded with championships and that's not going to happen. You know, the Astros still have a chance. Yankees are hanging in there, but you know, the Yankees, I think they lost some of the luster. It's really the Astros. The Dodgers were like the unquestioned best teams in their league. And the Astros are the ones left standing. So my postseason bracket, especially the national league is awful. Cause I picked the Cardinals <laughs> to make it to the world series. My preseason pick was the San Diego Padres, but I was really high on the St. Louis Cardinals coming into the postseason because I liked the lineup with Arenado and Goldschmidt and I liked their starting rotation at the front end and was pleasantly surprised at how well Jose Katana pitched, but I felt like the Cardinals were one of those teams that could take out the Braves or the Dodgers. And instead, it has been the Padres taking out the Dodgers. I had the Mets beating the Padres and the Mets beating the Dodgers, but that would have been two powerhouses facing each other. And I had the Cardinals beating the Braves. I did not have either Dodgers or Braves team advancing, but I got the wrong teams. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that are in the National League Championship Series. And, you know, naturally, as you mentioned, Jim, the things that are coming out of L.A., it spurred a lot of ideas of changing the postseason format, which has already changed, wanting to give teams like Los Angeles more of an advantage in future postseasons. I would argue that maybe the Dodgers offense at bullpen should have did a better job. I mean, the Dodgers offense only scored three runs, a run, three runs, and the three straight losses to San Diego. And their bullpen melted down in the seventh inning. They had a 3-0 lead, but they allowed five runs. But I understand those I want to honor regular season success more than just the division title banner. So should Major League Baseball copy something from the National Hockey League and award a cup or trophy to the team with the best overall regular season record? I believe in hockey, it's the President's Trophy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the President's Trophy. Yeah, I I don't think it really matters like you know especially um well i mean it's hardware it's something that you can display in the stadium but i think for certain i think for certain markets like say seattle um you know their magical season you know 20 years ago like that's a case where something having some kind of physical representation for that might be special just because you know everybody remembers that season and just how improbable it was and how cool it was and same thing look with the giants and the dodgers like their nl west race like that was cool and uh a classic pennant race same thing with the braves and mets like watching those division chases certainly uh you know i think as the sting of the postseason wears off i think there will be some like remember remember like how cool that was to go day after day series after series and just watching these you know two teams uh never relent and and uh both winning 100 plus games like that's really special and you know maybe a trophy would mean something but i also know like with the nhl like that trophy it means something but it doesn't like you know there's just always a case like well let's see if that actually materializes into a stanley cup or if it's going to be a case where another president's uh trophy winner comes up short like that's kind of how it's regarded. Like it's nice, but, and I think, you know, the, the NHL really does trophies. Well, like they really have cool trophies with cool names. And, uh, a lot of them have a certain appeal and history, uh, and allure that, you know, I don't think a new trophy can match. So I think that's really, you know, trying to create one to address, a season or like a development like the Dodgers where they have an amazing regular season and just kind of crap out in the postseason. I think you're going to see a lot of people treat that like a participation trophy. It's like, it's, it's nice, but it's also not the thing. And did we make this because of you? And if so, that's kind of pathetic. (laughs) That's how I think that's how a lot of people would take it, even though like I understand the sentiment behind it and would kind of appreciate more people taking an interest in just how, hard it is to make a team that wins that many regular season games. Right. Without all being said, do you think Dave Roberts gets to keep his job? I imagine so, but you, you never, you never quite know, but just it's, it's hard to fire somebody after 110 wins. 
but it's Los Angeles, right? He said that in the, before the before this season, he said that the Dodgers were going to win the World Series. They don't win a postseason series. It's a different level with the Los Angeles Dodgers than I would say 28 other markets or 28 other franchises in baseball. Like I, I've got a feeling if Los Angeles wants to move on from Dave Roberts, they know who they want to manage this team for 2023. It's, it's interesting. I, We'll, we'll see. I, I'm undecided. He could be one of those firings that surprises a lot of people. Yeah, I just think they've had like opportunities to fire him before because there's been a lot of disappointment along the way before they won it in 2020, and they never seemed especially eager to. So coming after a season like this, I don't know if that's the one that, that forces them to do it. Although, you know, just... Well, it's back-to-back seasons now. Yeah. I mean, it's they lost it 2021 to the Braves when they should have beat the Braves. Now they lose in 2022 to a Padres team that they dominated in the regular season. Yeah. I can't point at one thing that Dave Roberts did wrong managing this series, but again, it's the Dodgers. Maybe the Gonsolin. Maybe the Gonsolin starts. Oh, that's a good point. It's just, it's the Dodgers though. And I've just got this feeling like they, they could fire him despite winning 111 games because they got knocked out of the postseason early. I will say... If the Yankees don't beat the Guardians in Game Five, Aaron Boone's getting fired. Like that, I am. I am pretty confident in. Yeah, the Clay Holmes thing is bizarre. Yeah, I that I'm pretty confident that the Yankees will be having a managerial opening pretty soon. So let's take a look at this National League Championship Series. Stop talking about the Dodgers and Yankees for one moment. Starting with the Philadelphia Phillies, this team is hitting a lot. A reminder, though, they fired Joe Girardi back on June 3rd when the team was 22 and 29. On this podcast, the following weekend, we're advocating for the White Sox to fire Tony La Russa after they lost their home series against the Texas Rangers, so they were still below 500. The Phillies made that move. The White Sox didn't. And the Phillies are now just four wins away from winning the National League pennant. Jim, I remember back then in June that you were going to be tracking and how teams fared and firing their managers midseason. The Blue Jays were the next team to do it, and they did make it into the postseason. Eventually, Larusa did leave because of health reasons, but after watching what the Phillies have done under Rob Thompson, should the White Sox regret not pulling the trigger on Larusa earlier? Of course they should. I mean, like they there there was nothing gained from having Larusa come back. Like maybe there was a little bit of magic in 2021 because of all of the injuries and all of the players swapped in who had hot streaks. And there was a little bit of, I would say adeptness on the behalf of Larusa to where like bringing in a Jake Lamb for a little bit and then bringing in a Brian Goodwin for a little bit and just having, you know, a little bit of Gavin Sheets, a little bit of Jake Berger, like young guys, older guys, free agents, you know, unheralded prospects, like all contributing a little bit here and there and getting, getting through. And so like, I gave him a little bit of credit for that, but having seen that completely dry up on him in 2022, and just how long they stuck with players who weren't working and just visibly hurt. I don't know, like, I don't know whether that should make me reevaluate what I thought of his work in 2021. Like, was that the same guy? Was that the same White Sox organization that all of a sudden, you know, went from, you know, uh, being pretty aggressive about solving problems with external solutions and bringing guys up and sending guys down and, and, manipulating the lineup to try to, uh, you know, play hot hands versus just sticking with the same compromised players over and over and over and over again. I I don't, you know, I I don't know what happened. So like, but you know, the way the season unfurled, like there was no benefit of LaRusa certainly being here the rest of 2022, or at least until like late August, 2022. And we did see a little bit of a boost with Miguel Cairo there uh, before the wheels came off after that that gutting, basically season-cinching loss to Cleveland in the opener of that series. But we did see like a a flash of what happened when like somebody else was in charge and saying what needed to be said about what he was seeing <laughs> that everybody else was seeing, like Larry Garcia not getting any more playing time. Like that helped a lot. 
it, it was funny watch it going through all of the White Sox worst losses of the season for a post I wrote on Sox Machine uh, on Sunday morning and realizing that Tony La Russa's last move as a White Sox manager uh, was pinch hitting Larry, Larry Garcia and his 505 OPS and his uh, busted lower body for a perfectly healthy, better hitting Sebi Zavala with one out in the ninth inning of the game, they'd go on to lose. And then, you know, the White Sox have an off day the next day, and then he's out uh, with hours uh, before the opening game against the Royals. Like, that was the last move he made as manager of the White Sox, was putting Larry Garcia into the game. There's something beautiful about that, in a way, like just almost like a, a natural impulse. Like, I know the end is coming. I need to get home. <laughs> I need to have, uh, you know, I need to go with Garcia here before it's too late, uh, before I don't have the opportunity to do it anymore. Like there's something like nature taking over an instinct coming in and doing what he wants to do while he has a chance to do it. But it is like that, that kind of just sums up just, you know, his, the existence in his second year was just going with the same busted options over and over again, having Cairo there just, you know, what was it 13 and six in his first 19 games? Like when, you know, they had a chance to move, like that showed just some basic recognition of what was going wrong. And if you had that guy earlier, like not playing Garcia, pulling Lucas Giolito after 75 pitches or two times through until Giolito showed more, uh, just the, these obvious, you know, readily apparent mistakes that LaRusse is making over and over again. I do think there was an opportunity for upside. We saw with the Angels, you know, that, you know, we, the Blue Jays surged after they fired Montoyo. The Phillies surged after firing Girardi. But the Angels were the same old Angels after firing Joe Madden. And given the White Sox pervasive front office issues, like I can see them just being limited by their own myopia and uh, just whatever weird chain of command stuff they have the White Sox, just bringing them down and... No matter how well Cairo did uh, pushing buttons and pulling strings, like there'd still be a low ceiling on what he could accomplish because of just the way the White Sox roster was constructed. But uh, having seen what the Phillies did and what the Blue Jays did and just that brief little surge after the White Sox uh, had to go to Cairo after LaRusse's health issues that just, uh, yeah, um, there certainly was no harm in trying and it is a missed opportunity that the White Sox never did. Yeah, they had that surge in late June going into July. Maybe things play out better for the White Sox, and maybe they catch both the Twins and Guardians earlier in the season than late September, where they got to hope to sweep the Guardians to reduce a five-game deficit to a two-game deficit, and obviously that didn't come to fruition. But that was something that was on my mind. Another thing that's on my mind, Dave Dabrowski. So he's running the Phillies here. He won a World Series with the Marlins. He helped take the Tigers to the World Series. He won another World Series with the Red Sox. And if the Phillies could beat the Padres here, this is going to be his fourth franchise, Jim, that he has helped take it to the World Series. That is a pretty impressive resume for a Major League Baseball executive. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a case where he probably found the right owners to work for with his approach. Like I think he has a very specific approach that works for certain markets with certain pockets and a certain fearlessness of what might come from the players he signs or the trades he makes. And it's a, a case where, you know, he was a white Sox front office member, like in the eighties, like he came up uh, with, uh, you know, under Roland Hemond, like he, he was a uh, part of that brain trust and, you know, kind of like they had Tony La Russa and they had Jim Leland, like they had a whole bunch of guys who went on to success elsewhere in the White Sox went with Hawk Harrelson instead as the GM. And, you know, that's one case where like maybe, uh, you know, if Dombrowski were given the White Sox, like maybe the White Sox are better, longer, earlier, et cetera. Or maybe just, just like Jerry Reinsdorf's own limitations, the way the strike hit the White Sox and the way Reinsdorf had a unique hand in that and the way probably that happens no matter what, you know, given that Reinsdorf was willing to sacrifice the 1994 season in order to try to implement a salary cap makes me think like no matter how well the White Sox were doing, he probably would have tried to lead that ouster of Faye Vincent and get that strike going. Like I can see a case where the White Sox are more or less their ceiling is lowered and Dombrowski can't do what he does 
And, uh, you know, it's a case where just he uh, never quite achieves the heights he achieved elsewhere, but it would have been fun to try given what we've seen, uh, both with what Hawk Harrelson did, but also with just, you know, what Dombrowski's done with a, a variety of settings. And you know, what's funny about the Phillies is that, so they sent, they spent a lot of cash on Nicholas Castellanos down year. Like if the White Sox had side Castellanos to that type of money, it would have made sense for him to hit that poorly. Because of the, just the White Sox uh, curse right now. We'll call it a curse on players coming in and not performing well. But Castellanos had a very good series. It made some spectacular plays, uh, especially defensively. One diving catch to save the game uh, against the Atlanta Braves. They signed Kyle Schwarber. And Schwarber leads the National League in home runs. And that's someone that the White Sox really needed. And he signs these power bats that can't play defense. So he throws cash at the problem at proven veterans who have been proven to hit in the major league level compared to the White Sox who are hoping that these first basemen could hit. They may not be good in the quarter outfield spots, but they could hit. And obviously the Philly strategy worked a lot better than the White Sox strategy and they're also, again, in the National League Championship Series. So the Phillies are a team that have made some moves that I'm a little bit jealous as a White Sox fan that I wish the White Sox copied uh, in that sense. And when you're watching the Phillies this upcoming week in the Championship Series, pay attention to hitting coach Kevin Long. According to MLB.com's Mark Feinsand, Long is now receiving interest in the managerial openings, including the Chicago White Sox. Lawn's resume includes being the New York Yankees hitting coach from 2007 to 2014, then becoming the New York Mets hitting coach for three seasons. And then when he was passed over for that managerial opening, he joined the Washington Nationals from 2018 to 2021. And then Lawn joined Girardi's staff in 2022, reuniting both of them from the Yankee days. Lawn has won two World Series raids as a hitting coach, one with the Yankees in 2009 and the Nationals in 2019. Jim, we don't hear a lot about hitting coaches become managers, but what do you think about that angle of a hitting coach becoming the next manager of the Chicago White Sox? Yeah, that's, a, that's the thing I was trying to think of. Like, what hitting coaches have become managers? I couldn't really think of one. And when I looked it up, like, I got articles for, like, pitching coaches becoming managers. Like, pitching coaches like uh, Bud Black and John Farrell. Like, Mickey Calloway. how... Yeah, they talked about like how rare it is for pitching coaches. So and and yeah, I looked at pitching coaches like no returns. So even rarer. It does remind me a little bit of like an NFL approach to team building. If you really have a quarterback you want to take next level, you want to pair uh, a a head coach to maximize that quarterback. And so you try to look for an offensive guru, and it looks like the White Sox. Unless you're the Chicago Bears. Well, they tried, and then they realized like, nope, never again. We're going back to defense. Like, <laughs> Um, well, he tried a couple times, but they tried with spectacularly <laughs> weird players or like weird, weird coaches. Um, but I, I think it's like the same idea to me, but I don't hate it. Like long's been around, uh, long enough. Like he's achieved success with a variety of teams. It's not like a case where he just like wrote a high payroll and looked like a genius. Like he's, he's wrote a few highish payrolls, but also I think if you, you bounce around between a couple teams, and teams with standards, expectations, and payrolls, you're around for a reason. Like, they don't carry you if you're completely dead weights. And you don't succeed uh, decade after decade if you're not willing to, like, roll with the times a little bit. So I'd be curious, like, you know, if they went that route or if they were really giving him a, a serious look. I'd, I'd have to dig into, like, what he's doing. And I imagine given the high-profile uh, markets for which he's been a hitting coach and the success that they've had and you know him being a high profile name and, and certain hunts and being the favorite of of managers and and getting you know opportunity after opportunity and being like a preferred choice like i imagine there has to be a rich history of articles written about just what he's done you know who he's worked with uh the kind of changes he's been you know implementing so yeah i've been loath to dig heavily into any one managerial candidate who's an external solution just because the White Sox won't hire him. <laughs> like just like history says time and time again, that it's pointless. And I don't want to be Charlie Brown with the football pulled away from me. Like, ha ha, we hired Willie Harris <laughs> or we, you know, here comes Jim Tomey. 
So I'm more or less taking a laissez-faire approach to this and just saying like, yeah, I'll get to it when I get to it. When it comes to managerial candidates, like I'll, I'll be apprised as to who they're reportedly interviewing. And I'm more interested in the count, uh, the number of, I guess the counts of both candidates in weeks or days that pass by, uh, hearing who's tied because I think the all-time high for White Sox managerial uh, searches is two when it comes to the number of candidates in a certain cycle. So if they get to three, like already we're, we're in unprecedented territory already. So the fact that Long's name came up, I take is a good sign, but just when it comes to external solutions, I'm just more or less trying to jinx myself into, well, if I don't do work this time into assessing the candidates, I'll really be caught with my pants down or really have to be uh, scrambling for research when we have that emergency podcast to cover who they hired. Like I'm inviting that I'm inviting, like here's a time the white Sox actually get the best of me in, in having low standards. But for the time being, like I'm, I noted it and I, I have an idea of who he is and what he might do, but otherwise like, I'm not doing the newspapers.com search. I'm not doing the, uh, I'm not, I'm not spending the money on the photo from the photo wires in order to, uh, you know, have them in our system for, uh, a candidate who is just, uh, his name passed by in the night. Like, uh, I'm not investing in him because the white Sox have to prove that he's worthy of that $15 for a photo. <laughs> That's how I'm looking at it. Like, uh, I've, I've, yeah. Certainly uh, spent a lot of money on the White Sox over the years. So when it comes to managerial searches, that's the one area I think I can scrimp. All right. Well, Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word for our sponsors. But coming up next, let's talk about the nightmare that's been the White Sox missing out on signing Manny Machado or Bryce Harper next. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. This National League Championship Series featuring the Padres and Phillies also highlights a missed opportunity for the White Sox back in 2019. You remember the flirtation with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado well, don't you? They dressed up the United Center. They had a White Sox jersey, a Bryce Harper jersey, hung up at the United Center. They invited Manny Machado to Chicago. He came to Chicago in January. There was the photos of being in the Escalade and walking into Guarantee Ray Field. Well, now they meet in the National League Championship Series three seasons later. Right in the White Sox contention window, and one will get to play in the World Series. And Jim, this is what you wrote back in 2019 after Manny Machado decided that $300 million was more than $250 million. And you wrote, if the White Sox are to pursue top free agents without ever increasing the market's top line, they're going to have to get good first. If they have to get good first, they're going to have to convert on lesser free agent signings. You know, the things that broke the first attempt at rebuilding. It doesn't reassure me when Han says the money will be spent because he'll be the one spending it. 
The truth remains that the successful rebuilding teams hit bottom and reach the top with new owners and new front offices. Well, Jim, here we are in October 2022. Manny Machado has played for a chance to win a National League pennant and play in the World Series. And the White Sox will not be pursuing top free agents this offseason because Rick Hahn continues to not convert on lesser free agent signings. It's amazing on just how predictive the White Sox are, Jim. Yeah, it's, you know, we... we <laughs> and he says this as you're squinting yeah. and scrunching your nose. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been doing this a long time and... <laughs> It's a case where you wrote that three and a half years yeah. ago, by the way, you wrote that three and a half years ago and it's very relevant today. Well, I remember when it happened, um, you know, and as we complained over and over again that the White Sox, you know, were not signing Manny Machado and then they were not showing any subsequent interest in Bryce Harper, even though like theoretically they still had the money and they still had the opening and they just uh, were even less interested in uh, Harper than they were in Machado and you know, we complained about it and people complained about us complaining about it. Uh, just saying like, you know, turn the page. Machado is kind of a punk. He's not worth it. Harper's overrated and not worth it. And, you know, it's a lot of money going to one player. And I understood that impulse just because one, like, you know, nobody likes to hear complaining. Like, I don't like complaining. I, uh, you know, it's, it's annoying. <laughs> it's, it's hard to make it entertaining. Uh, so it's hard to... Uh, it's a hard way to live. You know, we complain because, you know, at least I'll speak for myself here and I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way, but like when I'm complaining, it's an honest, I feel like I don't have anything to do, but complain. It's just, <laughs> I'm going to voice my opinions about it because it just, I, I can't feign enthusiasm or, you know, in the end, I want my opinions and my read on the situation to hold up as credible. So ends up being taking the form of repetitive complaints. I'm, I'm sorry. Like I wish we were different too, but, uh, it's ultimately how I see the situation unfolding, but yeah, it's just with Machado, there were some bumps with Harper. There were some bumps like, you know, they, the Phillies playoff drought, uh, endured for the first three seasons with him in Philly with Machado. There were some high profile flare ups. Like he was excellent, but you know, the Padres short circuited and he had that dugout, encounter with Fernando Tatis Jr. that uh, made it look like he's not a guy who can lead a clubhouse. And we did get some like, well, you know, aren't you glad that they didn't sign Machado? And like, not really, just because, you know, year after year, the production is excellent. And even when the production is short of what they can do, it's still plenty good. It's still uh, better than what the White Sox have gotten from any kind of, um, you know, like say like Bryce Harper, right field 2019 Harper was kind of disappointing in his first series or season with the Phillies. Like he hit 260, slug 510 OPS plus of 126 wins above replacement of 4.4. Like that's not the kind of all-star slash MVP candidate. The Phillies thought they were signing, but it's still well above average. It's still like a guy you can run out there every day in right field and never have to worry about his name being in the lineup or what he's going to do or why he should be, playing in right field, uh, whether he should be hitting in the middle of the order. And like, no, he, he hit 35 homers, 36 doubles, walked 99 times. Like he was plenty good. It just was like a little bit short, but when you sign a guy like that in their prime of their career, one, you know, it's a case where if he has a down year, you know, we're going to be talking about AJ Pollock in the upcoming player review. And when you have a guy like Pollock, who's in his mid thirties, if he has a down year, that might be the end. When a guy like Bryce Harper has a down year or Manny Machado has a down year, one, it's not that down. And two, the best could be yet to come still. Like it could be just a, a blip and he'll be back. And sure enough, Harper the next year uh, in the pandemic season, uh, OPS of 962. So gains nearly or gains uh, 80 points of OPS. He's back to being like a six wins above replacement player, which is all-star and your MVP. They didn't have an all-star game that year, but would have been an all-star year after that wins the MVP. So it's a case where like, yeah, the, the disappointment might be, you, you can't guarantee like excellence and, and all-star and MVP quality year after year, but the setbacks can be overcome and the, you know, one bad year isn't going to spell the end. And that's, I think what's, uh, the White Sox missed when they set their ceiling on, you know, not spending 
nine figures on a contract, not spending $300 million on a contract is like, yeah, it might get ugly at the end, but for the first six years or so, you're going to get some MVP quality seasons as well. Like, you know, Harper won the MVP. Machado could win it this time around. Like he's certainly in the running and uh, certainly a big reason why they're, you know, both, you know, got into the postseason and why they're advancing. And, you know, that's, I think what's missed is like, yeah, they both, you know, had some initial bumps and struggled, but like the ability to dust themselves off and still be projectably great the year after that is what the White Sox missed out on. And instead they're, you know, going for patch after patch after patch in the case of uh, uh, the White Sox, like, yeah, it, at the time being, they had Yohan Mankata and like, yeah, maybe he moves over to second or right field, or maybe, you know, he still continues to be disappointing and, and, you know, hits the same limitations he's experiencing now. Uh, but they still have Machado and they still, you know, like if Mankata is, uh, you know, great, great. You have too many great players uh, who might have to play slightly opposition. Like that's a good, pro that's not a problem. That's not even a good problem. It's a, it's not a problem. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, I think there's just a, uh, the White Sox just have a lack of imagination uh, when it comes to the way they're run. And that lack of imagination kind of naturally extends to the fan base because they don't know what it's like to sign a $300 million player. They don't know what it's like to sign a manager who is not connected to the White Sox somehow. Like it's just, it's, you know, when you have Tony La Russa being fired and Ozzie Guillen comes up and AJ Pierzynski comes up as like the popular solutions, like it's because the White Sox don't really have man real managerial searches, no real ambition to hire good managerial candidates with upside from the outside. And just, it's really heartbreaking as a fan of a team that should do better and is in a major market and could own the AL Central. They could be a financial juggernaut in the AL Central year after year after year if they had that kind of, you know, vision and ambition and willingness to turn things over that weren't working. And in case, and uh, we're still stuck with Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. Um, you know, that's a case we're looking at Kenny Williams's quotes about Manny Machado. Just remember when he, the White Sox uh, were in the running for Masahiro Tanaka and they came in second to the Yankees and Williams talked about like what a great opportunity it was to share what the White Sox are all about as a going to be an ascendant franchise. And like, then I understood it because, you know, Tanaka signed for $50 million more than what the White Sox were going to provide. But like, even then, like Tanaka wants to play for the Yankees. The Yankees are going to pay what's necessary to land Tanaka. It, nobody else really had a chance. And so like, I understood the White Sox finishing second, but then, you know, they had the seat of the table quotes and they had uh, the basically stay healthy quotes and, you know, William sounding very pleased and, and congratulating himself and the White Sox for the offer they put forward, which is, you know, inadequate. It was an inadequate offer. It, it was an offer that nobody would take <laughs> and they congratulate themselves for it. That's when I realized like, oh, that second place quote about, uh, you know, David Sampson said about Jerry Reinsdorf saying it's better to finish in second because that keeps everybody hungry. Like, Oh, that might've been true. And it certainly is the way they've looked when it comes to uh, pursuing free agents. They want to finish in second. They feel good about finishing in second because they're scared of finishing first. Like, yeah, I get it now. In the seasons with the Padres, Manny Machado has played, by the way, nine straight seasons playing at least 90% of the team's games. That's the streak that he has. Manny Machado plays almost every single day. He has been worth 17.6 war over the last four seasons, according to baseball reference. Bryce Harper has been worth 14.7 war for the Philadelphia Phillies in the last four seasons. I would bet that 14.7 war in right field, Jim, is more than what the White Sox have gotten out of right field in the last decade uh, at the position. Uh, might, be, might be more than the last decade. I know Adam Ean had really a really good season at right field, but after him, I mean, you got all-star Avi, which he was about three war. I don't know where the other five war comes from outside of Adam Eaton and obviously Garcia. They've had such below production, below league average production in right field. They've been worth the money. Yeah. That includes the pandemic yeah. season too. That includes like the, you know, that, that 14 and 17, that's uh, short selling them because they both were, having good years that you'd, you know, normally you'd, you'd multiply by 2.7 to get the full season effect. 
Um, you know, so you're probably talking about like realistically, like what, what's that like 1820, uh, or 1821, something like something that, like that yeah. just off the top of my head. So yeah. Yeah. They've been worth it. They've been worth the money. And that was a golden opportunity. And we said that it was a golden opportunity that rarely comes around and the white Sox missed the boat. And something that we are going to be insufferable, or at least me, is that we have loved the way that the San Diego Padres have built this roster, Jim. And I am envy in how the Padres have built their franchise. They go super young in the Major League Baseball draft. Even if they don't have a lot of money in the international pool, they still side as many kids as possible just to get them into their system. Because maybe, yeah, it's $50,000 to bring this kid in, and maybe it's more money because of, like, the system that you have to put into place to take care of them when they do come to the United States. But they pan out, and they're so good at player development, they could trade their top prospects, and they're not acquiring a closer at the deadline. They're getting Juan freaking <laughs> Soto. and Or Jake Diekman. Yeah, or Jake, yeah, compared to Jake Diekman, right. Uh, and they make big, bold moves in the offseason, and they wanted Bob Melvin to be the manager. They got Bob Melvin. You know, they figure it out. That's what the Padres do. They figure it out. They target the players that they want, and they go get them. And that makes me very envy of Padres fans because that's how I want the Chicago White Sox to operate, like a major market team. We all want that as White Sox fans. They don't act like that ever. And they're not as good at the player development as the San Diego Padres are. So they lack having the assets to pull off those major trades. So they don't got the ownership. They don't got the front office wits. And it drives me up the wall. And here we go. The Padres are in the National League Championship Series. But the Padres do give me hope as a White Sox fan, Jim. Because last year was a disaster for the Padres. Going 79-83. and and this offseason, even though they made some really smart moves, I thought, the whole Fernando Tatis Jr. drama was a dark cloud, not really knowing what is going on. He gets hurt. That's a major blow. Then he gets suspended for PDs. This is a distraction. And they've been able to overcome all that. And here they are the next season in the National League Championship Series. That's what gives me hope for the Chicago White Sox and why I don't want this team to go into a rebuild is that if a team like the Padres could do it, if they could focus and find the right voice for their clubhouse to get the most out of the talented roster that they have, even though they only won 79 games in 2021, if they could find the right manager and they could still have an aggressive front office that could pull off some creative moves, if they could turn around, why can't the White Sox do that in 2023. Now, I know the answer why. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, is that a rhetorical <laughs> question? Because it's A.J. Preller against Rick Hahn, and, you know, it's Ron Fowler against Jerry Reinsdorf. It's a much different situation at San Diego. But there is a part of me as a White Sox fan that's like, I'm watching the Padres do this in 2022. Why can't the White Sox in 2023? Yeah, it's, you know, a, a case where... And I think the Phillies too, like the Phillies aren't doing it prettily. <laughs> They're not, there's nothing elegant about the way Dave Dombrowski has built the roster. There are a lot of flaws. They play a lot of ugly baseball at times. And uh, it's a case where, you know, if we're talking about regular season excellence, like they were not regularly season excellent. <laughs> They're not regularly excellent over the course of a regular season. Like they were, they had some highs, they had some lows. Uh, it, it washed out to be like a wild card team, but like they never challenged the Mets or the uh, Braves for NLE supremacy. Like they were clearly the also rans. It just happened to be like, you know, like we talked about having that kind of uh, two pitcher pairing at the top of a uh, rotation uh, for a five-game series, plus a lineup that can hit homers is uh, potentially dangerous in a very small series, especially if you can uh, put a scare to him early and, and cause some panic. But, you know, there is a, a a through line between the two teams to where, like, they pursue excellence. In the case of, like, Dombrowski, like, you know, you talked about uh, Preller getting Juan Soto. It's like 
Dombrowski got Schwarber and Castellanos. He didn't exactly know where to play him, or there was like no natural uh, place to play him that did not kill their defense. And sure enough, their defense is, is awful, but it's just like, they're great bats. We know they can do damage at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, we feel like, you know, they give us the firepower necessary. We're going to do it. We're going to get excellent players and we're going to hope it you know, works out eventually. And sure enough, like Bryce Harper, he, uh, you know, he had to miss some games with the busted thumb. Um, but even then, like, you know, to go back to like the idea of like high floors, like Harper had the thumb injury. He played through it. Like he still had a good season. He was an all-star. He had a little bit of a second half lull, but he's back hitting homers in the postseason. And that's a case where like he gets banged up. He can still produce one way or another. Like he has secondary offensive skills that can help him weather a bad month of the plates or like a case where like a hand injury is sapping his power. He can still do stuff to help a team win and, and help keep a lineup moving. So even like if he got, you know, the, the White Sox brand of injury luck, like he could still help a team. So that's, you know, to, to, to circle back to that, but they both pursue excellence. And like a case where like, if the fit isn't obvious, they feel like the fit will work itself out. And if it doesn't work itself out, well, maybe, maybe we can trade ourselves out of it. Maybe we can eat a contract. Uh, maybe we can, you know, like Eric Hosmer, they ate that contract. Like they can, if it gets ugly, well, we'll be transactional. And that's something the White Sox just don't have. They don't have that attitude. You know, it's a case where, you know, if you if you give them some benefit of the doubt and say like, well, it's just natural apprehension. Like, you know, we've talked about it before, like the White Sox, they they have lifetime appointments basically. So Rick Hahn is worried about being, you know, having to be the guy who has to clean up for that big contract. Whereas like Dave Dombrowski in Detroit, like Alavila has to clean up for Dave Dombrowski's big contracts. And you know, that's the way Dombrowski lives and somebody else's mess to clean up. And I think ultimately that's a healthy way for a team in a big market to operate, like have that certain kind of fearlessness. Now, if you're the White Sox and you're a bit cynical about the way the front office operates and they have lifetime appointments, you think like, that sounds like too much work. <laughs> sounds like, uh, that's a lot of hassle to have to trade guys, uh, you know, compete for top free agent talent and make a lot of trades and, uh, you know, make trades that might require you eating money or sending prospects along to get from out from under the contract. Like that's a lot of work. That's a lot of paperwork. I don't want to do it. <laughs> and, uh, when it comes to the white Sox, like ultimately I think it's more of like just an apprehension, just natural, uh, conservative approach because everybody's going to be there forever. And nobody wants to clean up that kind of mess if it goes wrong. And they don't have like the kind of confidence in themselves to, uh, blow a big dollar contract because that might be the last one Jerry Reinsdorf allows them to sign. But I can also, you know, given just the way they've operated and, you know, the Rick Hahn, John Paxson quotes about like, if I didn't feel like I could do it, I wouldn't be here. Like, oh, great. It's your decision to make. You're going to be here forever. Like, that's kind of how we're looking at it. Just like, it could be that same kind of bulls type thing to where like, we are all prisoners of their hubris and it's going to be a long ride. It's going to be a long, unpleasant ride. So here's hoping that this season, uh, you know, had that kind of disappointment to where it does finally shock them into hiring a manager after real search and make some real transactional moves that they might not like doing, but might ultimately be the kind of shakeup the team needs, but uh, they have to prove that they can do it. I just, they need to realize their way is not working. Like, there's some, like, look in the mirror type of moments the White Sox need to have. And we point out at all the successful franchises over the years and what they do and what we want the White Sox to take away. And it's a lot of pointing at San Diego over the years. Like, look at the moves that they made. And we had a lot of people push back, like, well, the Padres are to the playoffs, but the White Sox are. Well, how about now, everyone? The Padres just beat the Dodgers, a team that won 111 games in the division series, and they are just four wins away from going to the World Series. And the Phillies are there, too. Yeah. Like, and the Phillies are doing it, doing it uh, sloppily, but doing it. Doing the work. Yes. You know, taking the shots, taking the swings. Like, they're both there, and one of them's going to the World Series. Uh and, you know, just 
activity like just you know and that's you know that's one of the problems with like wanting the white sex to be transactional is like you really want rick Hahn making transactions like well we don't have a choice do we but i just rather you know right now the current mix isn't working so like yeah uh you know there are dead ends on this roster like they've run into the phillies problem of having too many dhs uh, that have to play the field except their dhs have proven that they can do it year in and year out and that's the difference and uh you know just the you know it, it's basically like the White Sox are like a mom and pop store that, uh, you know, doesn't have an idea uh, when they're being, you know, squeezed out by more ambitious teams or by chains like big, you know, big chain stores that have a certain uh, efficiency in their approach. Like it's a case where, yeah, they, they, they don't want to be on social media to post their hours and when they're closed, <laughs> like they don't want to do like the natural evolutions to stick with the times and they don't even do like the minimum. Uh, what happens when they need to do, do the maximum? Like now they need to think to do the maximum. Like, and they're doing some of it by, at least initially, by having a real managerial search. Let's see, they actually see it all the way through, but like they have to do the maximum now. Can they do it? Uh, there's ample reason to think they can't, but uh, you know, here's a case where just because this is our, this is our topic. <laughs> this is our, uh, this is where we've invested so much time and energy and, and, and also, you know, like we talked about like rooting for White Sox fans, like for the sake of White Sox fans and the season ticket holders you sit with in the 108, like we all want to see them do it. There's just, you know, there, there, we all want to see like, you know, I would say now we all want to see like real, uh, examples of them doing something right, something well, like taking a chance and it working out in order for them to keep generating the confidence and successes to keep taking more chances. Well, in this National League Championship Series, Padres, Phillies, who do you like to win in this championship series, Jim? I think if it were five games, I would say Phillies. Since it's seven games, I think it's Padres. All right. I'm also going with San Diego. I love the city. I really enjoyed my experience at Petco. I can't believe the Padres have gone this far in the postseason, overcoming the Mets and Dodgers based on what I saw in their effort against the White Sox. But hey, maybe it's just the end of the regular season and they weren't too hyped up for the White Sox because, man, they are played a much different brand of baseball than what we saw just a, a few weeks ago in early October at the end of the regular season. So let's have it go, San Diego. My preseason World Series prediction was Padres versus White Sox, so... Maybe they can make me half right, even though my postseason bracket, I'd stop believing in them and have the Cardinals representing the National League. But here we go. Let's go, San Diego. And uh, we'll see who they'll beat in the American League Championship Series. So the NLCS will start on Tuesday. The American League Championship Series is going to start on Wednesday. Game 5 in the Bronx, Guardians at Yankees. This has been a back-and-forth series here, Jim. Who do you like to... to leave the Bronx at game five and be facing the Astros in the American League Championship Series? I want to say Yankees because I think the talent's there, but like you know, we talked about with Aaron Boone, like something's off there. And I could see, you know, when I try to picture like, what would I not be surprised by in the end or less surprised by? I can just see like heartbroken Yankees fans, blank stares from the dugout, Aaron Boone not having any answers after the game and the guardians kind of sneaking by with their weird brand of baseball, uh, that you know, just doesn't seem like it should be able to advance, but does. So that's kind of how I'm leaning for one game. Now that Garrett Cole has been used. Yeah. And Garrett Cole had to be used just to force a game five. I'm with you as well. I think Cleveland's gonna shock the world and win game five and, uh, move on to face the Houston Astros and probably going to get swept by the Astros, just the way that things are working out for the Astros. Poor Seattle. We were really hoping that Seattle would get one playoff game at home. They got that one playoff game and then some, but they didn't score a damn run. <laughs> it was two games. They got two playoff games, 18 innings. Uh, it was funny. I was, uh, I was teaching curling um, uh, all game uh, and it was Tennessee Alabama. So Tennessee, Alabama was on all the TVs. Uh, so I didn't know what was happening. And when I came back to the bar, uh, after, after finishing my lessons and I saw like the score bug 
in, in the one game that was showing baseball and I saw like zero, zero bottom of the 17th. Like that's gotta be an error. <laughs> like that can't be right. Like that, you know, there has to be some kind of display error. And I, I, you know, I checked it like, yeah, then I asked the the bartender to turn the TV over, and I watched the rest of the game there. But just like it was, uh, that was a, I wish I watched the whole thing, even though there was nothing to see, just because I would like to know how a record, um, setting scoreless postseason game unfolds. I guess I already saw it once because uh, uh, they set the postseason record for 15 innings going scoreless, but 18 innings even seems more surreal. So. I feel like I missed an opportunity there, but I, I'm glad at least I got to understand like, oh, this game's really still going on versus just seeing a, a box score at the end saying one nothing, 18 innings and being really disappointed that I didn't see any of it. Yeah, well, Jordan Alvarez is on another level right now for the Houston Astros, and I'm sure he'll continue to dominate in the American League Championship Series. This is the sixth straight season, Jim. The Houston Astros have reached the American League Championship Series. Six straight, six straight years. Yeah, that's what a real rebuild looks like. Sure does. <laughs> sure. Now one division title and then 500 afterward. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I know that the complaints about the Astros are what they are. I know I don't really like seeing them, but it's also like, you know, my, my tendency to gravitate, my tendency to gravitate towards great teams. I don't want to see the Astros win, but I also get it if they do. Like it's a case where like, yeah, they're good. You know, theoretically they might be cheating and you can't necessarily trust them, but uh, the record shows what it shows. And, you know, they post cheating crackdown, like theoretically all eyes should be on them. Like nobody should want to see them succeed after what they pulled off last time. And they're still doing it. So I guess they are doing it above board maybe, or maybe we'll find out two years from now that cheating in a different way. But yeah, just, it, it's hard to, I, I find myself having to respect what they accomplish, even if I don't enjoy much of it. And I just kind of, ultimately I go back to Dusty Baker. Like it'd be cool if he won a ring. That's kind of how I look at it. They make a great villain. They make a great yeah. villain because this villain continues to win, but it makes those victories for the teams that do beat the Astros, extra sweet. So we'll see who they'll it's play. It's like the the Patriots. Yeah, that's a good example. They're the Patriots. Yep. Yeah, just uh, they, 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 they've gotten busted in a couple of occasions. Um, they, it feels like they got their wrist slapped for what they did, but ultimately they still keep churning out uh, the equivalent of 100 win seasons and deep postseason runs. Like, you know, obviously it's harder for a baseball team to convert on playoff opportunities, you know, just because of the natural odds of winning a seven game season, uh, series versus having a, uh, one game with your best players being able to have the ball, uh, as many times as you can give it to them. Like it's a case where like, it's easier for Bill Belichick to turn great teams into Super Bowl trophies versus MLB teams turning great seasons into world series trophies. But, uh, yeah, I think they've done pretty much as, uh, good a job as they can just sustaining that excellence. <laughs> Even if uh, the first run of excellence is rather tainted. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Sox machine podcast. Continue to watch the postseason folks. It's been quite riveting this year, especially late in games, which just some of the comebacks that we have seen. It's been very entertaining and uh, we'll see who will be played in the American league championship series. And we'll see who comes out of the National League Championship Series between the Padres and the Philadelphia Phillies. But thank you for listening to this episode. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And if you enjoy our work and you want more, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and when we have new socks machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. And we got new socks machine swag, Jim, in the store with the socks machine scarf. They are terrific, amazing. You should get one. How does the supply look? Supplies, you know, that we still have plenty. So, you know, I'm not going to lie and say, like, supplies are limited. Act now. Like, we're doing okay. Uh, a steady trickle of them going out. But also, like, yeah, if you want to order, if you want to 
rally up your resources and and, and uh, you know break open the piggy bank for 25 bucks like you got you got some time to do it but uh, uh, also you know winter's not quite coming scarf weather's not quite coming but uh, when it does rear its ugly head you'll be glad you have it because it is a nice scarf it is very nice and again you could buy that at the socks machine store on socksmachine.com but our if you want to sign up for Patreon, monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash socksmachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of socksmachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.